Hey Seacoast family, we are excited to share that we will be participating in Serve Day on July 10, a day to serve our local communities. Everyone can participate in Serve Day. Small groups, families, singles, people new to our church family, online members, and anyone who wants to be the hands and feet of Jesus. It's gonna be an awesome day. We'll see coasters across all of our campuses and those who watch online have the opportunity to demonstrate the love of Jesus by serving our neighbors. Now, Serve Day is even bigger than our church. Our churches all across the country will be making a difference in their communities. Getting started is easy. Check out seacoast.org slash serve day for project ideas, prayer suggestions, and information on how to download the Serve Day app. Now, the app will help you to find projects with some of our local mission partners, or you can get together with your small group, family, and friends to create your own project. Now, be as creative as you like. Start by thinking about people or organizations you want to bless and come up with projects that will work with ages, abilities, supplies, and passions of those in your group. If you can't join us on Serve Day, you can still make a difference through prayer or random acts of kindness throughout your day. You'll be surprised of how much you can bless someone by paying for their coffee in the car line at Starbucks or writing a note to say how much you appreciate them or even buying a tank of gas for the car beside you at the pump. On Serve Day, July 10th, we will gather at 9 a.m. at all of our campuses to kick off that will include a prayer and commissioning as we head out into our communities ready to serve, wearing some pretty cool t-shirts. We are excited to see how God is going to use us collectively to impact the lives of our neighbors. We can't wait to see you there and to hear your stories. Now take the first step and go to the website or text Serve Day to 320-320. All right, well, good morning. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I want to welcome you if you're joining us online or in one of the venues at an offsite campus, wherever you may be. It is so good to have you here to worship with us this morning. You know, over the last couple of weeks, I've met so many folks that are new here to the church, and I've introduced myself as if I've never seen them, only to realize that I haven't. <laughs> so many people started attending at some point over the last year or two, and then we shut down and we're quarantined, and then we come back and they're wearing masks. And so now that it's optional, it's like I'm seeing faces that have been here a long time. I've just never seen them. And so here's what I thought we could do today to help us get a feel for who's in the room. If you have started attending Seacoast, let's say at some point within the last two years, new within the last two years here and at all of our campuses, would you raise your hand? Just leave them up for me for a minute. Look at these hands. Now, everybody else, let them know how excited you are to have them here, part of the family. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the church. I want to take just a minute and speak to something that you're going to hear every week here at Seacoast. And one of the easiest ways that you can take a next step here on a weekend or really anytime throughout the week is by texting the word CONNECT to 320-320. Ephesians 320 is the blessing that we read at the end of every service, if that helps you remember what the number is a little bit. But this past week, in case you forget the keyword, it was around lunchtime and I texted I'm hungry to 320 320, and it replied back with a link of all of our keywords. And so if you want information about small groups, the dream team, kids camp, summer camp, the inside track, serve day, whatever it is, text anything to 320-320, and we'll shoot you a link that will help you take 
your next step. And I want to give a special invite. I know there's a lot of folks that are still online. I've seen you and talked with you at the gym, at ball games, in the grocery store. You're going to other places, but just out of the rhythm of showing up to worship with us on the weekend. And we want you to know without you, we are at best an incomplete picture of the body of Christ. We miss serving with you, worshiping with you. So I want to invite you, come on back, make it happen. You might have to get out of your pajamas, but it'll be worth it. So come back, come back and see us. Well, hey, it's a special weekend here at Seacoast and that it is Memorial Day weekend. And I know that means for many of you, you've got the day off work tomorrow. My kids just finished school on Friday. So Monday is the first legit day of summer. And it's going to be a day of rest and food and celebrating with, fa- with family and friends. And, but I also know for some people, it's not a day of, of fun as much as it is a day of remembrance and grief, a day where we remember and celebrate lives that were given to fight for Our freedoms, the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, the freedom that we have to gather and worship and go after God together. And I know for some folks that may have friends or family members that gave their life fighting for our freedom, or maybe folks that came back from serving with severe disabilities or struggling with uh, implications from combat, such as PTSD or things like that, and life as they know it will never return to the way it was. Just want us to all head into tomorrow with a remembrance and a gratitude for the price that has been paid for our freedom. So I want to invite us today to start off our service with just a moment of silence, to think about and pray for those families and think about the price that was given that you and I might share in freedom together. Please join me for a moment of silence. God, I thank you so much for every, every man and woman that has taken that, that mantle upon them to serve and fight for our country. You say greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And so we're, we're so thankful, God. And today we remember every man and woman who has given their life to fight for and protect our freedoms. And as we step into what I hope is a, a fun day for all of us tomorrow, we pray specifically for families that are going to be carrying grief, knowing that there is a loved one, a friend, a family member who gave their life to fight for and ensure we have these freedoms. You as the Prince of Peace, God, would you be with them, close to them, comfort them, and for all of us, God, might we be mindful of the price that's been paid for our freedom. So we take some time to get in your word today. I pray that you'd prepare our hearts and minds. May it not return void. Would we walk away with all that you have for us? In Jesus' name, all God's people said... Amen. Well, hey, two weeks ago, we kicked off a new series called Walking Away from Jesus. And I was walking through our breezeway this weekend, and I saw the art for the series. And I I was reminded of all those folks that raised their hand that are new here to the church. And I thought, man, you're showing up at church thinking we're going to help you learn how to walk with Jesus. And you're seeing signs about walking away from Jesus. You got to be thinking, I got that figured out just fine. I'm hoping somebody can help me walk with them. Well, what we're doing over the next seven weeks, all throughout the New Testament, when people encountered Jesus, regardless of their age or their race or their gender, if they were clean or unclean, rich or poor, uh, whatever their circumstances or background, they were extended the opportunity to walk in the fullness of life, the abundant life that he came to offer. Some of them did, some of them didn't. But here now on this side of the cross with God's word, 
We can see who Jesus was and we can learn from their examples to help ensure that we walk in all that he has for us. And it's a special weekend and that my prayer for all of us, we are one month away from Serve Day. And that's an opportunity for not just Seacoast and all of our campuses, but for us to partner with ARC churches all around the country. Man, when you think about the last year that we've had, we've been quarantined, separated, isolated, had masks. We've been limited in so many ways to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Even for me as a pastor, over the last year, year and a half, I was allowed to do one hospital visit where I had to dress up in a hazmat suit, wear an oxygen tank, sign a, a waiver. It's just like in so many ways, the church that we've always been out in the community, present and serving, we've had limitations on in some way. And the prayer is that Serve Day would not just be an event where we go out and do good, but be the beginning of a movement of returning to the church and the people that God has called us to be. And so my hope today is that in some way, you would catch a vision, start dreaming through, okay, God, how are you calling our family to serve? What is it that you're calling my small group to do or our workplace to do? And the picture that came to mind for me was of, uh, was of me playing basketball. Just stay with me. I know you look at me and think like, well, surely he's a natural basketball player just based on his athletic appearance. <laughs> That's a joke. I know you don't think that. But uh, one of my favorite hobbies, really one of the only ones, is playing a pickup game of basketball. And in my mind, I'm still a college freshman who can in some way replicate the moves that I see on TV. In reality, I'm a middle-aged man prone to aging when I try to, or, or injury when I do any of those things. But I love playing pickup ball where I get past the ball. I've got a defender and I get to make my move, right? Drive to the basket, take my shot. Well, in recent years, I've realized that the only thing I love more than taking the shot or, or driving to the basket, making the pass, whatever it is, is seeing my kids do it. My daughter, Anna Jay, is a junior. She plays varsity basketball. Our son, Abel, is in uh, sixth grade. He plays for their school as well. And I found myself in the stands whenever they get the ball, losing my mind. Like, and nobody had to give me the invitation to be that parent. You know what I'm talking about, because if you have kids, you're the same one, right? That just goes crazy when they have the opportunity to take their shot, to make the pass, do, or do whatever they're going to do. Well, the Bible tells us that the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And he said that we would do even greater things than he. And really what Serve Day, what this passage is all about in a very real sense is Jesus passing you and I the ball. Saying, man, it is time for you to make your move, right? To drive to the basket. We have an enemy, we have a purpose, and all eyes are on us. And as his church, it is time for us to move forward. And so the text that we're going to be looking at today comes from the, the feeding of the 5,000. Some of you may be familiar with that story. And in preparing for the message, man, it has grown to be one of my favorite. There are so many things that's unique about this miracle, the first of which is that it's the only miracle that's mentioned in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That word gospel just means good news. So in the books in the Bible that talk about the good news about Jesus, this miracle is mentioned in all four of them. The Gospel writers are four men, two of which were real good friends with Jesus, one of which was a physician, the other was a tax collector, and they were writing from firsthand reference of folks that had walked with Jesus. All four of these stories, if you were to look at them, you'd think, no oh, man, they're, they're each told a little bit different. And that's because these four guys had varying degrees of, of education and perspective. But I would say they're not differences or discrepancies in the story, but just layers of, of detail 
You can read about differences and nuances for how each of them saw this. And in most of the stories, Jesus had sent the disciples away, and the Bible tells us that they had reported back to Jesus to tell him all the things that they had done, people they had healed, the times they had preached the good news. And it actually goes into such detail as to say they were so busy, there were so many people coming to the disciples that they hadn't had time to eat. And so just think that's kind of interesting. Who cares if the disciples were hungry? But now we know they they hadn't eaten because they were busy. Jesus cared. He sent them, got them in a boat. He sends them across the lake. And as they're going across the lake, people are running around gathering folks from town to see where Jesus is going. And when they land on the other side of the lake, the Bible tells us it is a group of 5,000 men. Now, it's not that women or children don't matter, but they, they counted families in those days. So most scholars believe that we're talking a crowd of somewhere around 20 to 25,000 people. Another reason that this passage is so significant, we believe this would be the largest crowd that Jesus ever spoke to. And preparing for the message this weekend, our production team reminded me that the real miracle in this story wasn't that Jesus was able to feed 20,000 people. It's that he was able to communicate to them without a microphone or speakers. (laughs) There's a perspective that's needed. There's two miracles, right? But just an amazing story. So they land on the other side of the lake, and the Bible tells us that Jesus has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he gets out of the boat and starts teaching them many things. In the King James Version, it says, as the day began to wear away, meaning like Jesus had been talking for a long time. And at that point, the disciples, there's still no mention of food. I don't know if my boys have eaten anything or not, but they start looking around 20,000 people realizing that like, man, there ain't no food court up the road. The feeding of masses is something we're used to. You could go to any college football game, professional sporting event, and eat as many hot dogs as you want. Like feeding 70,000 people in a concession stand isn't crazy in our day. We can make it happen. But they're out in the wilderness, removed from many towns. There's no food courts, places they can eat. And so the disciples are looking at this situation thinking, Jesus, we got to send these people away. Like it could be dangerous to travel at night. Where are they going to get food? And so Jesus replies to them and says, hey, we don't need to send them away. You feed them. And they're like, come on, bro. We, what do we, we ain't got no food. And so in John's gospel, it says that they found a young lad with five small loaves and two small fish. He had just left Captain D's. He had picked him up a little meal. The disciples come trying to take his lunch. He brings it to Jesus. Jesus blesses it, breaks it, gives it back to the disciples The food begins to multiply until the Bible tells us all the people ate and were satisfied. They had had all they wanted. Jesus says, let nothing be wasted. So each of the disciples grab a basket and it says they collected all the leftovers of bread and fish. And here now is the only referencing of the food again for my boys. But you got these 12 guys who were hungry now standing there holding the miracle of God. Theologians say that was called the region of 12, where they were. So it's possible they were going to deliver one of these baskets to surrounding villages. So even the people that didn't show up could be blessed by Jesus as they left. But in any event, they're standing there holding this food. Well, Jesus, knowing they got to be worn out, he puts them in a boat again, and he goes up on a mountain to pray. He's watching the disciples out in the water, and the Bible tells us that the wind and waves are bad. And so being concerned for them, he walks out on the water. And at this point, the disciples are terrified, you know, because they're thinking he's a ghost. They're not knowing what is going on. And that leads us to the passage to kind of push us in the direction to go for this week. And it's found in Mark 6, verses 50 through 52. It says, immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. 
Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. Now, up to this point, Jesus has already calmed the wind and the waves. Remember when the disciples are in the boat, and it's crazy, and it says Jesus was taking a nap, and he rebuked the wind and the waves. The disciples were amazed. They said, man, who is this man? Even the wind and waves obey him. He had risen a a dead woman to life. He had healed a demon-possessed man. They had seen Jesus do amazing things over and over, yet with the miracle of the loaves, they were terrified to see him walking on water. They didn't understand it because their hearts were hardened. That word hardened there literally means calloused or dull, having lost the power of understanding. And the picture that came to mind for me was of these 12 guys that had walked with Jesus, standing there holding baskets full of the miracle of God, yet they still did not know the God of the miracle. I'm thinking, man, if that's possible for those dudes, how likely is it for me that I can be involved in the ministry of God, that I can be going throughout my my everyday life, but possibly miss all that he has for me or all that he's inviting me to, to be a part of? How do I keep my heart tender so that I'm sensitive to the supernatural, so that I'm aware and available for whatever he may want me to do? That's what we're going to look at today. So the first thought for us, I can maintain a heart of compassion when I, number one, look at normal needs with supernatural eyes. Look at normal needs with supernatural eyes. In Luke 9, 12, it says this, late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so that they can go to surrounding villages and countrysides and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place. Now, if you were to put yourself in the story, just imagine being one of the disciples in real time, seeing all those people dealing with maybe feeling a little tired, being a little hungry. It is a very logical, normal thought to think, man, this is for the good of the people. There ain't nowhere to sleep around here. There's nowhere for us to provide them food. The only rational thing we could do is to send them away to get food and lodging. And because food is a wildly individual act, right? Come dinner time. Some people are like gluten-free, dairy-free, vegan. I don't know why you'd want to eat cardboard, but you do happily. You look great, whatever, you know? (laughs) Other people like pasta and cheese and wine, you know, but fast food, whatever it is, we all eat differently. And as a result of that, you eat at five o'clock, you eat at eight o'clock. It's like everybody does it different and you have your own preferences. This is super normal. Let's send the people away so they can do whatever they do at dinner time. I think I would have done the same thing they did. We often read these stories and kind of knock the disciples for like, come on, man, don't be afraid. Is Jesus walking on the water? Chill out, you know, but I don't know if I would have thought that way. If I was them, but now that I have his word, now that I can read it, now that I know who he is, I can see their response, man, I've got to learn from it and allow it to, to impact mine. I've got to look at, at normal needs with supernatural eyes. I'm reminded of Matt and Alicia Dawkins. Matt is the new campus pastor at our Conway campus. Why don't you join me here? Let's welcome them. Let them know we are excited to have them. And Conway, I know the Conway campus is so fired up about that. But in moving from Somerville to Conway, their their move got delayed a little bit. And so he's been driving up. It's been a been a process for them. And part of moving, they needed to get a storage facility. They just closed on their house this past week. So it's going to start happening here soon. But in the midst of the move, I don't know if you're anything like me. I get so focused on the task, right? Load up the van, get the storage unit, unload the stuff like, dear God, just help me get to the end of the day. 
so I can get a hot shower and some ibuprofen. You know, something like, get, I just focused on move, 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 get it done. Well, they're in the storage facility signing the, the contracts for the, the storage stuff. And there's nothing more normal than needing a place to store your junk, right? They're in there and, and they meet Marla. She works at the storage facility. They're signing the contract. And Mac's thinking, I'm going to tell her why I need a storage unit. So he says, hey, we're, we're moving to Conway. And I'm going to be the campus pastor of our, our Conway campus for Seacoast Church. And she was like, oh my gosh, Seacoast. I love Seacoast. I used to attend in Mount Pleasant until my husband died tragically. And me and my, my son moved here just in grief. And I haven't really gotten reconnected to a church. And Matt says, well, man, how crazy is it that God so loves you that he would delay my move, that I would need a storage facility, that I could come and tell you about the God who loves and is pursuing you, wants you to come back to church. And that, listen, that's not even the half of it. So, so she shows up at Seacoast, attends for a week or two, rededicates her life to Christ. And this past weekend, Matt and Alicia dropped their four-month-old daughter off in the nursery to Marlo, who's now serving and using her gifts, experiencing full life. That's something we can all celebrate. That's just amazing. Isn't that awesome? I'm like, man, he was going to get a place to store his stuff. What normal needs is God inviting you to look at with supernatural eyes? You might have just labeled it as dinner time. You might have just labeled it as a, a place that you always drive by or a need that you've always seen, but God is calling you to be the solution to it. And the first way that happens is when we say, okay, God, don't let me step into anything that would be seemingly normal today with human eyes. Allow me to see with your eyes. Because you are the God that can do immeasurably more than all I ask or imagine. And if we believe that, we'll look at things a little different. So I can maintain a heart of compassion when I, number one, look at normal needs with supernatural eyes. Number two, I can maintain a heart of compassion when I expect God to use what I have in my hands. Expect God to use what I have in my hands. Mark 6, 38 through 41 says it this way. The disciples are talking with Jesus. He asked them, how many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said five and two small and two fish. Again, John's gospel says five small loaves, two small fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. So I want you to imagine this. They take the bread. They give it to Jesus. Jesus breaks the bread, blesses the bread, and then hands it back to the disciples. In every children's cartoon or storybook that I've ever read, there's been this graphic of Jesus infinitely reaching into these baskets, handing out all the bread. But you read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the miracle happened in the hands of the disciples. He broke the bread. He handed it to every other miracle up until this point. They had observed. They watched Jesus walk on water, calm the storm. They watched Jesus raise from the dead. They watched Jesus heal the leper. But now at this point, when they're feeding 20, 25,000 people, you can imagine how many groups are sitting out on the grass. They, he breaks the bread. He hands it to the disciples. And then they have to walk around and start distributing it. As I'm looking in my basket, like it's a, it's a limited amount of bread. But at some point, the supernatural miraculous happens. I'm imagining if I'm walking up to the first person, it's like, pa Pastor Greg, if you could just take a, a, a small bite. <laughs> like, here's, here's a little bit. Like, I'm going to be handing it out knowing exactly how much I have, but it never stopped. 
And if you're anything like me, oftentimes I can see need and easily dismiss my involvement or my impact because of limited resources. Most places I go, I've got seven kids in tote, and that ain't gonna bless nobody, you know? <laughs> I'm like, hey, I'm here to help. They're like, sure you are, take them away. You know? It's like, you've got a limited amount of time. You've got a limited amount of money. You might see a need and think, well, I know how I might start, but I don't think I could really solve that. I don't know how to really get involved. I don't think I could make a difference. I've never done that. I only do this, whatever the case. Man, it's easy to dismiss our involvement. If there was ever an example, even with this small amount of bread, think that there's no way we could. Man, they had to look at something normal with supernatural eyes and trust that Jesus could take this little bit, multiply it, and it'd be plenty to, to provide for everyone. I'm reminded of Pastor Chris Russo. He used to be, uh, currently, he's our West Ashley campus pastor. He used to be on staff here at the Mount Pleasant campus. And on one weekend, he was hosting in the warehouse and a family came in and said, hey, our son Micah is in a real tough spot. Could you go and meet with him? Chris got somebody to cover his space and went over to Charleston Cafe and met with a guy. And he had a debt of $3,700. And he had gotten a text that he had 48 hours to pay up or the guy was gonna kill him. Chris was like, man, this sounds like a movie. I've never heard anything like this. And, and uh, the kid was questioning, do I just flee from town, try to start over? Do you know anybody I could stay with? He's just terrified. And Chris said, listen, man, I don't have $3,700, but I have an ally in my God who's always with me. He fights for me. He came that you would have life, have it more abundantly. So Micah ends up accepting Christ there at Charleston Cafe, leaves still having the debt, still having the problem but with a sense of belief and hope that his God is with him. Well, the next morning, Pastor Chris Russo had a, a coffee schedule with a guy named David, who is a manager at Blackbaud. And a couple weeks ago, he attended Seacoast in response time, felt like God told him that he wanted to pull $3,700 from his savings account. So he went on Monday, got the money out, put it in an envelope. Two, three, four weeks have gone by. He's praying. I don't feel like God's telling me what I'm supposed to do. He said, I'm just going to ask Pastor Chris, see if he has any ideas uh, or if he would pray with me. And so he tells him the story. I've got this $3,700. What do you think I'm supposed to do with it? And Pastor Chris is like, you know, like, and the response is, give, give it to me. You know, you know? <laughs> He's like, not for me, but I, I know. And so Pastor Chris sets up this meeting the next day with this guy in need, this guy that had pulled the money, and Pastor Michael, so they can make the transaction. And now my man, if he's ever known, he has an ally in God. Can you celebrate God and having a plan to meet and provide for you even when you don't know? Now the point is this, $3,700 is no small amount of money, but it's all relative, right? So my question is, what is it that you have in your hands? For some of you, it might be wildly practical. It might have to do with money. It might have to do with your profession. Maybe you build houses or cut yards or cook food, and God's going to use something, even if it's a little bit of extra time that you have, to multiply and bless others. For some people, it might be emotional. Man, a couple weeks ago, Katie was out of town for a week, and I was one on seven with, with our kids, and all I could think about all week was single moms, stay-at-home moms, folks that, that do this every single day. It was the hardest job on the planet. And I'd get to the end of the day with like a, a tiny bit of patience left, ready to rip somebody's head off. You know, I, I had to be like, God, you know how I'm feeling right now. I'd have to be like, hey, daddy's got to use the restroom real quick. And it would really just be prayer time of like, God, God, please. <laughs> you know. But maybe it's emotional. You're getting to the end of the day and realizing I have got a little bit of patience. 
I have got a little bit of love left. God, would you take this little bit that I have, break it, bless it, multiply it, that I would have more than enough for whatever it is that you're calling me to. So I can maintain a heart of compassion when I look at normal needs with supernatural eyes. Number two, when I expect God to use what I have in my hands. And number three, serve today with eternity in mind. I can maintain a heart of compassion when I serve today with eternity in mind. Man, if you're anything like me, I can get lost in a project, like in a task. If I'm going to help somebody do a yard, paint a house, serve some meals, I'm so task-oriented, and, and it just lives well. In Acts 20, 35, it quotes Jesus saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so anytime you go to serve people and you know it's a blessing for them, they get to accomplish or experience something that maybe wouldn't have happened on their own, you leave feeling better because you lived beyond yourself. Man, if you leave and it's, it's just the task, then that's called social justice. But Jesus is inviting us to live today with eternity in mind. After they had fed the 5,000, after Jesus puts the disciples on the boat, the crowds all follow him back to the other side of the, the water. It's like Jesus can't get a break, right? And then encountering the crowds for the second time, this is what Jesus told them. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must, what must we do uh, to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And I realized that for me in serving, just because I'm so task-oriented, I want to help, like I can often work for food that spoils because I don't connect the dots for people that, man, anytime I go to paint a house or, or fix a wall, it's pointing to the God who makes all things new. Anytime I come to feed a family, it's to point to the God who is our bread of life. Anytime I care for a child or teach a VBS, it's because it's pointing to the God who is the father to the, to the fatherless. We're not just called to be a people who do good. We're called to be a people who do good and who point to Jesus. That their today wouldn't just be impacted, but their eternity would be altered. We've had several friends who have, have passed away here in our, our church recently due to complications with COVID. And I've heard it said that people oftentimes don't think about eternity until they've made an investment in it. And what's been marking for me for some of our friends recently, Brian Fisher, uh, his wife, Mary, they've been real involved with missions in Nicaragua. But she said, hey, in lieu of any gifts, flowers, any of that stuff, would you give towards training pastors in Nicaragua? I think about Eddie Medina when, when he passed away. His wife, Tracy Joe, they've been really involved in global missions in Togo. And she said, hey, in lieu of any gifts or flowers, would you, would you give? We want to build a clinic and a church in Togo, both of which are happening. But in their hearts, as they're thinking about their loved one who is spending eternity in heaven, whom they will see again because of their faith in Jesus, they realize that my actions today can echo into eternity. As we do these things today, it, it builds their legacy, it continues their impact, and one day there's going to be people that step in to heaven because of the legacy, a legacy of someone who's already there, right? We've got to connect the dots for people. We're not just here to serve. It's not just about social justice, 
But anytime we're willing to serve, it earns us the right to be heard. Why are we doing this? Man, let me tell you. Let me tell you. What I think about this story, it's remarkable what God did with a young boy with a handful of loaves and a few, few fish, right? So meaningful, so impactful that it would be the only miracle that all four gospel writers would write about. That it would be the miracle that happened here in the hands of the disciples. And here now, 2,000 years later, we're still reading about it and learning from it. Can you imagine what would happen if the 20,000 people who called themselves seacoasters saw this as an assignment from God? And then on serve day, they were to see the normal with supernatural eyes. They would say yes to God and stepping into whatever it is that, that he would call us to. Man, the impact that could be made, not just today, but in eternity. And the good news for all of us is we don't have to wait until serve day. You can start on Monday, right? You can start today in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. You can join us next Sunday on the dream team. He's called us to be a people who serve, who use our diffs to make a difference. But it all starts as we offer what little bit we have up to him. Allow him to bless it, break it, multiply it, and then see him do immeasurably more through us than we could ask or imagine. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this text, and I'm thankful that you are a God who empowers us. God, that you would call us to do amazing things. And so I pray for every friend here today. Maybe they they see and know exactly what they're doing. I, I see you having passed the ball to them. And I know in a room this size, uh, there's folks that know exactly what to do with the ball. Man, they're driving to the basket. They're taking their shot. And I know there's some people standing here holding the ball thinking, what in the world am I supposed to do with this thing? And I just pray today for some baby steps. Give us a clear path for serving and impact that we would be a church as we have been the last 30 plus years known for our heart for the community that we would serve those in need, that we would pursue those who don't know you, that our lives and, and legacies would be marked by life change, that we would be a people who help populate eternity. So God, cultivate in us some vision today for how you want to use us in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. And I pray for every life that's going to be impacted as a result of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, if you're new here to Seacoast, this is my favorite part of every service. We ask two questions. God, what are you saying to me, and what am I going to do about it? And today, I want you to think about those two questions specifically in the context of serving. You've got a month until serve day, so you've got some time to pray about that, talk with your family, talk with your friends, but serving as a lifestyle is one that he, he calls us to today. So what is God saying to you about serving? Are there some opportunities that maybe you've labeled as normal? And much like me, if I can see a problem and solve it myself, fix it myself, pay for it myself, it's easy for me to not invite God to be a part of it. But maybe instead of just running after it, God's saying, hey, invite me to be a part of that because there's some supernatural things that I want to do. Maybe your next step is to go to a cross and say, okay, God, I want to give this to you, my job to you, my family to you, my time to you. If there's a specific, specific area he's, he's pressing on, go and pin that to the cross. Say, okay, God, would you give me some supernatural eyes for this? Maybe it has to do with expecting God to use what I have in my hands. Maybe there's some experience, some resources, some opportunity for him to use something that's unique to you that I would never be able to do, that maybe it's been your profession or hobby, and he's going to use that to help bless others. Maybe your next step 
today is to go and light a candle and say, okay, God, I'm going to give you what I have. I'm going to put it in your hands. Would you bless it and multiply it? As we respond, we'll have members of our prayer team up here at the front. You can come and receive prayer or take communion. We're going to sing and celebrate an awesome God and give of our offerings generously. But what is he saying to you and what are you going to do about it? Let's respond together.